Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. Today's show is brought to you by Omaha Steaks and Coinbase. You know, as we look back on 2021, several trends emerge. When I think about what's important to me about these trends, I'm steered, of late at least, to leadership. Things that I view as leadership when it comes to remote work, the leadership of a positive culture, adopting a change mindset. All of these are important to me because as I reflect on 2021, COVID, how I work, and particular how I can work better, leadership is at the top of that list. Our guest today, Dr. Sue Ashford, is a leadership and learning expert. Dr. Ashford shows us today how to change your behavior, develop soft skills, and achieve personal and professional growth through a series of small experiments that she calls leadership flexing. Dr. Ashford's new book is titled The Power of Flexing, and we'll learn all about it, how we can develop it, and how we can make it work for us as we shift our emphasis to 2022 and working and being not old, but better. The Power of Flexing helps you move ahead when you're confronted with a new challenge or simply want to develop a vital skill. It's a journey that begins with setting a flex goal, as we will hear from Dr. Ashford, and then stating explicitly what you want to learn and how you want to grow. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show, Dr. Sue Ashford. Susan Ashford, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Glad to talk to you. Thank you very much for sending the book, The Power of Flexing. Congratulations. Uh, it's a wonderful book. I really am just going to highly recommend it to our audience. But I see the word flexing in the title, and you know, it, uh, immediately my mind jumps to um, exercise or you know, Hans and Franz from Saturday Night Live and you know, kind of making themselves stronger. What does the word flexing in the title mean, and, and how – how can this word flexing be powerful? Yeah, what a great question, especially the second part of that. How can it be powerful? Uh, I wrote it to connote the idea that uh, we can tackle our own growth in a flexible way. So flexing means more flexible rather than muscle building, though in some ways muscle building is what we're doing when we try to grow. It's focused on uh, the areas of personal and interpersonal effectiveness. You might call them the soft skills. So how do we grow to become better versions of ourselves that, you know, live out, help us live out our lives better on the personal effectiveness or help us in our relationships with others? Um, it's powerful in that it's really something you can do while you're doing other things right? We're all busy with a million and one things that we're trying to accomplish in life. And in those experiences, you can also have your personal growth on your agenda. And you can be working on it, doing some of the practices that I outline in the book. Um, and then if you don't have anything coming up for you, you can lay it down, you can pick it up later. But it's sort of like you don't have to do this big time out from your real life and go take a class and learn something. But this is something you can flexibly incorporate into your life um, as you're going through the experiences you're having anyway. Great. Thank you for that. Yeah, again, the book is The Power of Flexing by Susan J. Ashford. The subtitle is How to Use Small Daily Experiments to Create Big Life-Changing Growth. So I, I wonder, was this a 
what was your agenda? Was this a personal quest? What motivated you to write on this subject? It very much was personal. This book had a lot of personal meaning to me. Many of my colleagues here at Michigan have written lots of books. I have not. This is my first. And I really wanted to write it because I was teaching this material to undergraduates, to MBA students, to the executive MBA, to my executives who come back for uh, to learn more on leadership. And they found it super useful. Um, it, it, the other thing that's powerful about it that I forgot to mention is it puts you in the driver's seat of your own growth. Whether the organization says you're high potential and we're going to invest in you or not, you can still invest in yourself through the practices that I outline. So I really wanted to get it out to a larger audience. And I imagine both HR people and organizations reading this and saying, you know, we could build this into our leadership development practices here at Company X. And I imagine my three 20-something daughters reading it and saying, this is super useful. Um, I've already had people in that age group tell me that this would be a great graduation gift for someone because it's basically on how are you going to keep growing throughout your lifespan. Yeah, I have, my wife and I have two 20-something sons. One is, uh, both are business-oriented uh, and um, the book is going to go to one. <laughs> so very, very good point. Oh, yeah, nice. I think I think this is a, a good good timing for you and I to be talking. And I like this idea that you mentioned about um, the power can come from us, that we can be driving this. One of the chapters, though, is titled It Takes a Village to Grow. Mm. And it's uh, subtitled Seeking Feedback to Amp Up Your Growth. And you mentioned one of my faves of all time, Mayor Ed Koch from New York, always asking, how am I doing? <laughs> and so yeah. do we just ask? Is that what we're, we're uh, driven to do, to ask people for the feedback? And is that kind of the way that we're taking control of this to get the to get the powerful part of flexing in our in our uh, own midst? Well, you know, I think the power lies in all seven of the practices, but I know we don't have time to talk about all of them. So to hone in on that one, mm -hmm. you know, personal effectiveness, if you're not talking about I'd like to improve my baking or improve my coding is largely an interpersonal game. You know, we want to be able to go to that community meeting and have influence. We want to have better relationships with our uh, in-laws or our kids or our parents um, or our spouses. We want to be a better parent. We want to, you know, try to emerge as a leader in a company. So it's that's largely an interpersonal sport, right? So I can think I'm the best at it ever, but... It really matters what everybody else thinks as well. And so that's why it does take a village because you need to understand how you show up to others, how they see and perceive and interpret you uh, in order to um, really improve. Because otherwise, you don't know how you're coming across. You can't make relevant changes. So the Egg Koch story is a funny one. When I tell it in class, I usually say, he asked that question right up until he wasn't doing so well. And then he pretty much stopped asking that in public fora. So one way you can ask, um, every way you can get feedback has sort of its problem, its cost. So you can ask, but it's a little difficult. People often will want to tell you what they think you want to hear. 
Um, and so they won't be completely honest with you, especially if there's hierarchy involved, like the boss is asking her subordinates, there's a lot of telling you what you want to hear. You know, your jokes are super funny right up until you retire, and then suddenly you're not that funny anymore, and you wonder, what happened? Well, you're no longer the boss. Um, and So another way to get feedback is just to be a little more tuned in to the reactions of others. Um, just monitoring what's going on around you and trying to get a sense. So if you're trying to work on being more approachable, you can look if people approach you or not. Um, if they don't, chances are you have more work to do. Um, and so whatever your goal is, you can sort of monitor the cues around you and figure out. You know, one of the problems there is, you know, you can misinterpret if you're an anxious person, you're going to read them negatively. So you can read them wrong. So it's kind of important to think about it as um, sort of a probably a combination, finding someone you can trust and asking and paying attention to patterns in the cues. I always say if one student in my class falls asleep, it's probably him. If they all fall asleep, it's probably <laughs> me, you know, and I need to work on that part of the class. <laughs> It's good. I like that. Well, you talk about in the in the book, and, and again, the book is wonderful. It is the power of flexing. We're with Susan Ashford, the author of the new book, and you talk Susan Ashford about how people uh, learn about leadership, and it and, and that it, and it can be experiential. It seems like leadership is always experiential, isn't it? We we develop these leadership cues based on how others might be interpreting our uh, kind of uh, um, impact and uh, our direction of, of these of these maybe these various areas uh, would you agree with that, that that our leadership is experiential or no well leadership doing leadership is certainly experiential it, it couldn't be any other way it's an interpersonal sport mm -hmm. I'd say it's a contact sport mm -hmm. um, but learning leadership, that's where these, this idea came from. And this, was, this isn't my research. It's an older study that looked at people who had achieved a pretty high level in a company and were considered pretty effective because uh, those two are not the same. Sometimes you can have a high level and not be seen as effective. And they said, how did you learn to do what you're doing? And, and they said, well, 70% I learned through the experiences I had. 20% other people and 10%, you know, books and, um, and, and classes, which is ironic because I'm writing a book that leaders could pick up and learn a lot from, but I'm writing about how do you capitalize on that 70%? Because I don't think it's inherent. Just going through an experience doesn't teach you anything if you're going through it fairly mindlessly or if you're going through it not um, in tune with, aware of your own self in that experience and your impact. So the place where the book puts a stake in the ground is saying experiences don't teach us. We need to learn. And that's what the book is about. How can you learn more from the experiences you're having so that you can grow? You know, Adam Bryant writes a column called The Corner Office, where he interviews CEOs. He's done it for years. I think he stepped down. It's still a column in the New York Times. And he was here giving a talk at Michigan. And he said, you know, I get asked all the time, how do I get to the top? And he said, it isn't that there's one 
right set of experiences. It's that the CEOs who have made it to the top have managed to get the most out of the experiences. And he has a great uh, metaphor. He says they wring meaning from it, like you would wring meaning from a a rag. Um, And that's what the book's about. How can you wring learning out of your experiences? You're going to be having them anyway. How could you use them also for your personal growth? And this might be very applicable to our 55-plus age audience because many have had these personal experiences. It's just maybe a different way of looking at them because many are still working, you know, like me, I'm, I'm 64 and, and, uh, maybe, you know, like me working for, for myself, but many are helping family members with businesses too. And so relate it to our audience specifically. Well, it's super easy. I I think the best thing you Mm -hmm. could say about anyone at the end of their life is this is a person who kept growing. And I think a lot of us hold that value. I don't want to be stuck in the same routines, the same habits, the same response tendencies that, you know, have produced some okay results and some not so good results. I'd like to grow and improve. And there's a lot of opportunity because in that 55, you said you're 64, in that range, a lot of things are changing for a lot of people. One is um, your kids are grown. And now you need to forge a new relationship with them, which also means often you need to change some habits in how you interact with them. Um, So there's some personal growth there on the parenting front uh, that's required. Um, You need to, for example, you probably, as your kids grew up, did more tell and sell. And now you have to do more consult and listen kind of thing. That's a big change. You know, that takes some real adaptation on the part of of parents. Uh, If you're in a family business that you're helping out with, you're now in the helping role rather than in the parental role where, you know, your voice was the high power voice. You know, now you're trying to subordinate, lower your power, flex your power down so your, your, your kids can, you know, be running the show, but yet you are helpful to them. Those things take a while to learn how to do, and they take setting an intention about it and then flexing, trying some different experiments, trying some different things to do it to see what's working. Um, but, but it requires getting out of your, your comfort zone and getting into a new zone that fits with what you're doing. And then you have the people that have stopped working for companies and now work on their own which brings a ton of both personal and interpersonal effectiveness issues to the fore. You know, suddenly you need to manage your brand. Something people of that generation didn't think about very much uh, growing up. They were just a person in a company. You have to think about your identity. You're no longer a Google person or a Ford person. You're you trying to create something on your own creates a lot of anxiety for people, creates some existential identity stress. Who am I really? Do I have anything valuable to offer? You know, that takes some personal growth to get through and get to a point where you feel like you've got it managed. The tensions don't ever go away, but but you're feeling more vital in that new life shape than, than stressed and, and saddened by it. We'll be right back with Dr. Sue Ashford. You're going to want to stick around 
because we're going to learn about how to apply the power of flexing directly to our Not Old Better Show audience. So stay tuned. Well, we are officially in holiday spirits here at our house. Thanksgiving was great. And the upcoming holidays will be filled with family, love, and wonderful memories to be created. At our Thanksgiving meal, we enjoyed all the traditional food that those memories are made of, but we had this excellent dessert prepared by Omaha Steaks. That's right, Omaha Steaks. They make this great caramel apple tartlet. Oh my gosh, it is fantastic. Along with all of the wonderful food that they make at Omaha Steaks, caramel apple tartlets. They're fantastic and they are delicious. You know, as a matter of fact, if you're still thinking about gift giving, you know, gift giving to all of your friends, this can be tricky for lots of people. Omaha Steaks makes it easy to send friends and family an unforgettable gift guaranteed to be loved and it will be delicious. Guaranteed. (laughs) Go to omahasteaks.com and enter N-O-B into the search bar. You're going to see the search bar right at the very top of the page on the Omaha Steaks website and just enter N-O-B into that search bar in order to find the perfect gift package for all of our N-O-B Not Old Better Show listeners. For $99, you'll get 24 entrees like the world-famous bacon-wrapped filet mignons, chicken breasts, sides, desserts like the caramel apple tartlets, and so much more. So remember, use the code N-O-B and you will get an additional eight Omaha steak burgers free with your orders. We've all heard reports about shortages and shipping delays and the supply chain, so don't wait. Order the perfect gift package today at omahasteaks.com and you'll get eight free burgers when you enter the code NOB. So achieve gifting greatness with Omaha Steaks. Incredible flavor, incredible value, and 100% guaranteed. Remember, that's omahasteaks.com, keyword NOB. Thanks, everybody. You know, everyone in the Not Old Better Show audience knows that we have to keep growing. We have to keep learning. We have to stay curious in order to stay sharp. We also need to stay abreast of our finances. Before we rejoin today's conversation, I want to thank Coinbase for sponsoring our show today. Coinbase is a platform for buying, selling, earning, and learning about cryptocurrency. Coinbase is a secure and beginner-friendly platform for users to start and continue their cryptocurrency journey. You know, if you've thought about entering the world of cryptocurrency but felt a little overwhelmed, well, (laughs) join me. (laughs) And I'll tell you that Coinbase makes learning to buy and sell cryptocurrency absolutely simple. Coinbase believes that everyone everywhere should learn about cryptocurrency, whether you've been trading, investing, and buying securities for years, or you're just getting started. Coinbase can help. For example, I've learned that crypto can be used to advance meaningful personal goals or life milestones, which is exactly how I use it. But I suggest learning about it first at Coinbase with their easy-to-learn system, tutorials, and ways to reward your learning with free quizzes that pay you. That's right. 
Hey You. You got to check this out. And Coinbase makes it quick and easy to start your own portfolio and learn to trade like a pro. If you've been looking to level up your financial portfolio, balance, and to diversify, why not think about cryptocurrency through Coinbase? Coinbase is one of the largest cryptocurrency exchanges in the world with 7.4 million monthly users, 2,700 employees, and over 80 cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin that are all traded on its platform. And it survived and thrived in the crypto market and has steadily built an amazing user base, including me. (laughs) Coinbase keeps your portfolio safe and secure while adding crypto into your mix. Now, for a limited time, new users can get $10 in free Bitcoin when you sign up today at coinbase.com slash N-O-B. All this will be in our show notes. But remember, sign up at Coinbase today for coinbase.com slash N-O-B and you get $10 in free Bitcoin. This offer is for a limited time only, so be sure to sign up today. That's coinbase.com slash N-O-B. Thanks, everybody. And now back to our program today. We are back with Dr. Sue Ashford, author of the new book, The Power of Flexing. So, Dr. Ashford, I'm curious, for someone in my audience, and and maybe just take me as an example, would would feedback be more important, or, or would it be kind of managing your emotions, as you talk about in the book? I, I would say feedback may be a little less important. Um, emotion management will be critical. Feedback never goes away. You're always trying to balance being driven by your own values and your own intentions and being driven by the views of others. You don't want to be too much in one or the other, because if you're just driven by the views of other, you know, you're just going to be a ping pong ball bouncing around. Um, Driven by your own values, your own intentions, and you don't think about um, where are others on this, as we talked about a few minutes ago, you know, you're going to be missing the mark. So um, managing emotions is going to be a critical one. Um, You know, the first, so if you go back to the parenting and now the kids have left example, the first era of life are much more well, we have much more well-developed schemas about them than we do for that last one. So the kids are gone. It's now an empty nest. Now what do you do? What what makes you have value? You you retire from your work. Now what do you do? What makes you have value? What makes you feel like you're living a life worth living? You know, but yet not put yourself on another rat uh, hamster wheel where you're just running, 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 but doing something in a meaningful way. You know, all of that breeds a lot of emotion, a lot of anxiety, some existential stress, um, some sadness. So I think managing those emotions. Um, but I really think the one that's probably the most important is the one about setting an intention or setting a goal is another way to think of it. Where do I want to grow? What are What is my issue now? Because as soon as you do that, you're essentially taking the power back into yourself um, and you start to feel more like a proactive, agentic person. And that just yields a lot of benefits emotionally and behaviorally uh, and 
outcomes such as stress, mental health, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And you talk about this idea of proactivity and and kind of taking these anticipatory actions to impact yourself and your environment. So maybe expand on that a little bit. Tell us more about it. Sure. If you ask any of my three daughters, they would say proactivity is mom's favorite (laughs) word because I've been talking about it for a long time. I just think that we I'm right to, there with you. <laughs> we want to be the authors of our own life and rather than uh, yeah. reacting to everything everybody else says. And I think for your audience, almost especially, you know, they've probably lived successful lives. But when they look back at it, they, they realize that, you know, they maybe were driven by someone else's goals for them or dreams for them or financial uh, imperatives or whatever. And you know, you can grab this time as a way to uh, kind of create what you want. And proactivity is really about that. It's saying, um, I'm going to be looking forward. I'm going to be thinking about what do I want to create and then starting to take some actions to create it. So, for example, it might be this one person I interviewed in the book. He's still working. It's not at this stage of life, but he he had been called formidable by one too many people, how he put it, and wanted to work on being more approachable. So as soon as he made that decision, he's like taking the power back. It's no longer this negative external perception. It's now him and who he wants to be in the world. Um, and then as soon as he did that, he started to do some small experiments to see if this would help or that would help. One of them was as small as smiling more. He realized that his resting face was not horrible, but it but it didn't look friendly. And so just reminding himself to smile more. He was working with a committee at the time as he greeted everybody and went through this committee. Um, but, you know, he felt that really paid dividends um, in terms of making movement and felt good about the fact that you know, he proactively took that on. It became his, not someone else's agenda. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent. So I think tip. it has a lot of power. Yeah, I like that. Smiling more, definitely. <laughs> well, you know, in working with your students at Michigan, you probably talk about the world of work. You know, changing dramatically. I've I've read in my research of you that you you do talk about that a fair bit, and and probably our audience is very familiar with the world of work changing. Uh, dramatically. So maybe give us some ideas about how work has changed and how we can kind of face this new working world. I know, and and we will be talking again, uh, Sue Ashford, we will be talking again about uh, kind of the gig economy at some point, but I know you've researched this subject. So maybe tell us a little bit about how the world of work is changing dramatically. Yeah, that would, the gig economy would probably be the first thing I would, I would um, mention. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a growing segment of the workplace. Uh, you know, for a while, everybody thought, well, it's growing because people can't get regular jobs. But look at what's happening now with what, mm-hmm. you know, the media is calling the great resignation, where <laughs> this <laughs> pandemic was this intervention in people's lives. And they're sort of saying, I'm not sure I want to do that. And, you know, if you think about it, a lot of generations have hit the job market after post college and said, really? This is it. I've been preparing for this all my life. (laughs) This generation has technology and it allows them to just do work in a lot of different ways. 
um, and from a lot of different places and not necessarily in a large company, which is kind of the hallmark of success for past generations. You got a job in a large company, a very respected company, and you spent a lot of your career there. You know, these days, you know, these, these guys are moving around every three to five years. You know, Jeff Schwartz at Deloitte says we ought to think of not a career, but 15 chapters. You're probably going to have 15 chapters. What's chapter 12 going to look like? Well, you know, thinking about that is useful. So that's one way. More people are out on their own having to think about how do they want their life, their work part of their life to look like? Do they want to work all the time? Do they want to do it in their in the alcove in their bedroom? Do they want to go to a co-working space? Do they want to go to a coffee shop? What do they want to do? Do they want to have as much in-person as they can get, or do they want all of it to be virtual? Um, a lot of young people are just doing work that way. I mean, I have a nephew who's super smart and has never worked for a company, but he's totally supporting himself. You know, he's just doing it through technology. So um, the gig economy is a big one. The other one is the world is just getting a lot more complex and organizations really need more leaders in more places in order to cope with the complexity, to know what customers are thinking, to know what technology is changing out there in the environment. And, um, you know, the world of work needs to change to accommodate that, which means pushing more responsibility down the organization being more open to voice up the organization and trying as hard as you can to develop people who really lead from wherever they are. What I like about my book is it says you don't need to wait for the organization to say, you're high potential, we're going to invest in you. You can develop your leadership and then you can take that development to your next company and your next company and down all the different chapters and you can also start to offer it in your current company and and by doing so, get recognized as a leader. All this talk about the world of work being more complex, that it is very much technology-driven and, and virtual, these might be considered, you know, even just uh, scary topics for my generation who might look at this as being, you know, difficult to change. And of course, in, in your excellent book, you you write about, you know, setting a learning focus. I wonder if you just maybe give us, give our audience a couple tips about how we can begin to use some of these small daily experiments for our personal and professional growth. What What is it that we ought to be doing? Well, I'll tell you one that might they might relate to. This is a, a woman who owns a small bed and breakfast in the wine country. Um, and if you can imagine running a bed and breakfast through two fire seasons in which the town had to be evacuated and then a pandemic, you can imagine it was getting very tough. Uh, she was past 65 and she really wanted to sell the inn and move on to do something, didn't want the responsibility, wanted to do something simpler. But she kept running into this roadblock that I would imagine would be um, familiar to the people you're talking about that move on to something new, given how crazy the world is changing and how much new it has to offer. She wanted to sell the inn, but it's a very complex thing to do. There's state laws she had to be aware of. There's um, 
you know, all the unemployment things that were happening during the pandemic that she had to handle on. It was a family business, so she had to understand the trust, et cetera. And she kept getting stymied because she didn't know what to do, how to do something. So on her to-do list would be contact the Chamber of Commerce to find out about X. But, you know, she didn't didn't know how to do it, so it was very intimidating. So it would keep going from her to-do list to day to day to day to day. And so finally, she said, I just need to set an intention about this. And my intention is going to be to move forward each day on something hard, even if I don't understand what to do. And so the learning focus is, you know, I'm moving forward by learning a little bit today, even if I don't can't contact the chamber yet because I don't even know what questions to ask, but I'm moving forward every day. I'm not going to be stymied by this idea of I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to take it on. And so that that it, hers was a little bit of a mindset shift. Her experiments were doing that thing early in the day. That was her practice. I'm going to do that first before I go to email. I'm going to move. I'm going to look at my list. What is stymying? And take one action on that. And that really worked for her. She got that in sold last June and um, is now in more in the life she wants to have. But I think a lot of people have that. I don't know how to do Slack. What are people talking about? What is Google Hangouts? I don't know anything about that. And yet it seems to be important. What do I do? And, you know, her goal and her little experiments really moved her forward and maybe could be helpful for others as well. Fantastic. Well, Susan Ashford has been our guest today. Susan Ashford is the author of the new book, The Power of Flexing, How to Use Small Daily Experiments to Create Big Life-Changing Growth. The book is getting great reviews, and again, I just want to recommend it. But thank you, Sue Ashford, for joining us today. What a pleasure it's been to talk with you. I look forward to ongoing conversations about this gig economy, and I just want to say again, check this book out. Regardless of your of, of the point of your career, your professional, personal lives. Check this book out because it is really packed with some just some great ideas about making some of these big life-changing growth areas work for you. So, Sue Ashford, thank you. That was my pleasure. I wish everyone good growth. Perfect. My thanks to Omaha Steaks and Coinbase for sponsoring today's show. Please check out our show notes and the information about our two sponsors and support our sponsors. My thanks to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Please be safe, be well, practice safe social distancing where necessary, and enjoy the holidays. I'll be thinking about you. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.